Welcome to this episode of Horrific History and Hauntings. I'm Beth. And I'm Ramey. We're your hosts, here to talk about the stories that the history books ignore. From horrific epidemics and ghostly hauntings to the catastrophes and tragic events that have sickened humanity. What are we talking about? We are talking about haunted lighthouses and ghostly waters and... I completely forgot to look before I came up here to see if there was anything on. I guess I got to look it up now. I'm not going to go too much into detail since I'm not prepared for it. Today's history. Oh, yeah, you should do that. In 1912, Theodore Roosevelt was shot in Milwaukee. Okay. Martin Luther King Jr. wins Nobel Peace Prize in 1964. He deserved it. Dwight D. Eisenhower was born in 1890. That's not particularly horrific, is it? No. no. Pulp Fiction opens in theaters in 1994. Garbage. I never watched it. It's not good. I mean, a lot of people like it. Adolf I don't like it. was wounded in the British gas attack in 1918. He was in World War I. Yeah. And Soviet missiles were photographed in Cuba. The Cuban Missile Crisis. And that's all I see on here. But like I said, I completely forgot to look at it before I came up here. But we're talking about haunted lighthouses and ghostly waters. If you like this discussion, you might want to watch a movie called The Fog. The Fog. Yep. Yeah, there's two of them. Watch both of them. They're both pretty good. Yeah. The first lighthouse is Old Presque Owl Light Station, P-R-E-S-Q-U-E. It's located on Lake Huron, the Presque Isle in Michigan. After the War of 1812, it was decided a lighthouse was needed due to the increased shipping on Lake Huron. In 1838, Congress gave around $5,000 for the construction of it. <laughs> you couldn't build a front porch for that much now. <laughs> no. <laughs> You can't even buy one of the little sheds like that anymore, unless it's real, real little. It was built in 1840 with stone and brick. It's 30 feet tall and 18 foot around at the base. Okay. And it was obviously built to provide a guiding light for the ships passing by. What else would you build it for? Spooky. Hmm. Spookiness. Just (laughs) intimidating spooky lights. It was the first lighthouse built along the shores of Northeast Michigan, and it's still known as one of the oldest lighthouses on the Great Lakes. It's still standing, I take it then. Yeah. Are they even manned by people anymore? Automated? I don't think there's any manned by people. They're all automated now, I'm sadly. I'm sure there's one. I don't, I don't know. I can't remember. That would be- yeah. I knew that they used to be appointed, their lighthouse keepers were appointed by the president because they were such an, it's such an important job. They, they took it very seriously. Well, and for many, yeah. many years, <laughs> when one would die, their wife would take over, but he wouldn't appoint them. They would just be stand, like the one who looked after it anyway without being appointed. By the president. Yeah. Officially. The first lighthouse keeper was named Henry Woolsey. He was paid about $350 a year. Bargain on the state's part. <laughs> and he served until about 1847. In 1870, the lighthouse was neglected when the new and taller New Press lighthouse was built. In the early 1900s, the Stebbins family bought it from the U.S. government. wonder how much they paid for it. I don't know, but I want a lighthouse. They renovated the keeper's dwelling and used it as a summer home. (laughs) They also opened up and restored the keeper's dwelling. The lighthouse was open for tourists to enjoy. B&B, why not? Yeah, I would stay. After their children were grown, they chose to give the property to the tourists. I don't know how they managed that. In mid-May 1977, George Paris and his wife Lorraine became the caretakers of the lighthouse. They moved into the keeper's dwelling. George found joy in welcoming visitors to the lighthouse, especially children. He enjoyed guiding visitors on tours and sharing tales of the challenging yet heroic lives of lighthouse keepers and their families. Yeah, they had a lot to do. Yeah, and it was pretty much all the time because they usually lived there, I believe. Yeah, you had maintained the lighthouse, 
keep it lit all night long. Yeah, and even some of them had assistant keepers mm-hmm. that would take shifts. And take care of your own life, like your daily stuff at the same time. Mm-hmm. That's you living there. George had a playful side and would often play... <laughs> Flicker the light? It, no, well, he would play harmless pranks on the visitors. One in particular he called the muscle test with the foghorn. Oh. And despite the unexpected blasts knocking the visitors off their feet, visitors still grew fond of George and kept coming back to the lighthouse. Can you imagine eardrums splitting, getting launched across? The- <laughs> now more into the spooky side of the lighthouse. On January 2nd, 1992, George died of a massive heart attack. In May, Lorraine hesitated to return to the cottage alone. But her kids eventually persuaded her to go. And while driving along Grand Lake Road one evening, her attention was drawn to the tower because there was a light shining in the lantern room. Creepy. Especially if at your destination and nobody's supposed to be there. The issue here was that she knew Georgia disconnected the electricity to the tower. And to prevent the light from being turned on by accident, the Coast Guard also had taken out the gears and, so, the, and the lens. So it should have been impossible. Additionally, the Coast Guard had taken out the gears so the lens could no longer rotate. Ah, so it would only be able to shine in one direction if it was lit. But it still couldn't be lit either. Yeah. When she moved closer to the lighthouse, the light was no longer visible. Well, problem solved, lady. You don't have to worry about that now. The next day, she went up to the tower to make sure no one had fixed the gears and reconnected the power lines, and she found the lantern room completely empty. Okay. And it said sometimes whenever she drove around Grand Lake Road, she'd still see the light. I wonder if she's seeing the other lighthouse. I don't know where it's located. I don't know nothing about the region either. Where this one is. Hmm. People, other people started reporting the light in the tower as well, in the old tower. Maybe they got teenage visitors. Wait, this is... She lived there, I believe, at the time. Uh, I don't know if his lighthouse had an attached domicile or a separate one. Some of them you had to walk across the small yard to get to, and some of them they were attached literally to the side of the lighthouse. I want to say this one was attached, but I'm not sure. I think I've only been in one lighthouse in my life. Yeah, same. Sometimes I woohoo in the Sims lighthouse. Oh, no. Apparently, there is, if you have a baby that was conceived in the lighthouse, they get a certain moodlet whenever they're in or around the lighthouse. That's a cute little touch they got there. Yeah. But if you have base game, you won't get to do that because the lighthouse comes with Brindleton Bay, which is, (laughs) I want to say, cats and dogs pack. That's a popular one. Yeah. The light looks like an old oil lamp. That's because that's what it had. Yeah. Yeah, it that's what it had. So, so much for the idea of teenagers. Fluorescent. Yeah. <laughs> Even the National Guard pilots would see it during their night flights over the peninsula, and the Coast Guard began taking notice of it as well. This house, my house, got to be torn down or something, lady. <laughs> Lorraine mentioned that she was on her way out to get groceries during a lightning storm one time, and she claimed that the door had been blocked, so she couldn't leave the lightkeeper's cottage. She was unable to get out. Why? Well, eventually she gave up and let go of the door handle, and lightning struck outside where she would have been standing. Her husband's looking out for her. Yeah, sweet. She believed that it was her husband blocking the door. I just said that, Beth. July 4th, 1992. It's uh, Independence Day. A little girl reported that she saw a man at the top of the stairs leading to the lantern room. Oh. Happy Independence Day. Hey. The description from the little girl... About the man was he was tall with snow white hair and glasses. Sounds like a sailor. Yeah. That's what you think of. Whenever I think of lighthouse keeper or sailor, anything like that, I think of the bearded white chunky. Yeah. Um, <laughs> beard, white beard, white hair, 
funny hat and a yellow overcoat sometimes, a raincoat. Maybe an eye patch, peg leg. That's a different kind of captain, but yeah. When the little girl was shown pictures of George, she identified him as the man in the tower, but said he looked like a brighter white when she saw him in person. Oh, creepier. Yeah. And she had never met him before, so there was no way she could have known what he looked like. Some people reported that George's light had guided them safely to shore during a stormy and foggy night. I mean, it's a nice touch. Uh, the skeptic He's... in me, which I am kind of a skeptic, makes me wonder if it isn't some other light shining into it causing the reflection or something. I know nothing about lenses and light, though, so it's just me being skeptical. But it's a nice story. Yeah. I like to believe it, especially the door and the lightning thing. That was, yeah. That was a good touch. That was sweet. There also were a couple of sources that I found with a different legend for this lighthouse. There were a couple of sources that I found with a different legend. Not so nice legend. He did lock his wife up in the tower and she died. Oh. And now you can supposedly hear her screams during a windy storm. That's a completely different legend. Like, very different. Yes. But only a couple of sources said that one. And I don't like that one as much. So I'm going with the other one. Probably comes branches off the whole shut door incident. Yeah. Moving on to the Plymouth Lighthouse. Plymouth. A little bit of history about it. It's located in G-U-R-N-E-T, Gurnet Point, Plymouth, Massachusetts. In the 1760s, John and Hannah Thomas allowed a lighthouse to be built on their property at the northern corner of Plymouth Bay's mouth. The agreement was that John would be appointed the keeper of the lighthouse, and that's... In 1769, the lighthouse began to operate. John and Hannah faithfully fulfilled their duties, ensuring that the oil lamps in the both towers remained lit. This one had two towers, by the way. I forgot to mention that. Oh. Which is pretty cool. And it kept calling them twin towers, oh, and, no. like later on. And I was like, I can't put that. That's confusing. Yeah. We had a tragedy. We remember the twin towers completely differently. Yeah. When John went away to fight in the Revolutionary War, Hannah kept the lamps burning herself. Well, somebody had to, unless the British and colonial ships run aground. Colonists defended the fort near Gurnet Lighthouse, and they exchanged cannon fire with the British F-R-I-G-A-T-E. Frigate. It's a boat. Frigate. Mm -hmm. You couldn't pronounce frigate. I watched a lot. I don't know what a frigate is. It's a military vessel. Oh, okay. That's why I don't know what it is. The frigate had run aground nearby, but one of its shots hit one of the lighthouse's towers while Hannah sat there and watched. I don't mean that. That sounded like she was lazy, but no. What was she going to do about a cannon fire? She built a wall like Sauron did to (laughs) Mordor. These are my twin towers and you're not coming in. Sadly, John never returned from the war, and he was presumed dead. He eloped with a British soldier. Doubtful. I'll write a book about it, then we'll be rich. (laughs) Okay, well, you do that. (laughs) Despite John's absence, Hannah continued to tend to the two towers. In 1790, the lighthouse officials awarded her the keeper's post. Oh. There you go. That leads back to what you were saying before. This made Hannah America's first female lighthouse keeper. Good for her. Officially, I guess you would say. Go, Hannah. In 1801, the structure burned to the ground. I don't know if it was her fault or not. <laughs> Great job, Hannah. <laughs> First one. <laughs> In 1803, a new one was built to replace it with a taller twin tower. God. In 1843, both towers were rebuilt. And in 1924, it was decided that the Northeast Tower would be discommissioned because there was no reason for two towers, so it was dismantled. The South Tower became known as the Plymouth Lighthouse. 
It now contains a solar-powered optic and still flashes its white and red beams. Now some spooky sightings at the Plymouth Lighthouse. Ooh, goody. Hannah didn't get the memo about the lighthouse no longer needing a keeper, and she's dead and gone. Two lighthouse photographers? I don't know how you get that job. Is it specifically lighthouse? Do you photograph other things? Surely. If not, how do I get the job of being a photographer where I go around to lighthouses specifically and take pictures of them? Well, their names were Bob and Sandra Shanklins. They decided to spend a night in the old keeper's dwelling at Plymouth Lighthouse. And then Bob woke up during the night. He saw a woman's face hovering over Sandra's head. Oh, dear. He said she was wearing an old-time garment that buttoned tight around her long neck. She had long, Sounds real prudish. <laughs> she had long, dark hair that was parted and flowed down to her shoulders. She appeared to be in her mid-30s and seemed sad. He said he turned his head to look at the lighthouse through the window for some reason. If there was a woman standing over what I'm going to assume is, was his wife, I'm not going to turn my head away. I'm going to be like, what you doing? What's up? <laughs> Shoo. Can I help you? But when he turned his head back towards the woman, she was gone. <laughs> so I guess didn't have to worry about it. And they assumed it was the ghost of Hannah Thomas, thinking that John had finally returned home from the war. That's all I found for that one. Hasita Head Lighthouse, located in Florence, Oregon. March 1894, the lighthouse was lit for the first time. It took five years to build it due to them needing to first build a wagon road to reach the cliff top site. And there's also a grave of a baby girl on the lighthouse grounds. Who's? I don't know whose. So nobody knows. Nope. It is said that the assistant keeper's duplex has been haunted by the ghost of a lady called Rue for as long as people can remember. She is believed to be the mother of the baby girl buried on the property, but it's obviously unsure because she's a ghost. Nobody bothered to ask her. She doesn't seem to like things being done to the buildings. One time there were volunteers that were painting and the fire alarm kept going off. Must have been Hannah. She came from the other lighthouse. Poor Hannah. Probably wasn't actually her fault. One of the workers checked to make sure that there wasn't a fire, and they found nothing. When they got back, the alarm went off again. Leave the lighthouse alone. Well, that time he went to check again and removed the batteries from the alarm. Oh, that's always safe. It didn't help. Oh. The alarm still went off again. Ruth's been known to open cupboard doors and move objects around. I'll confuse you yeah. next time you need a paprika. One workman said that he came face-to-face with her in the attic. He fled the building and refused to return to the attic. What do you want to bet he just seemed like a raccoon or something and got scared? (laughs) While working on the exterior of the building, he accidentally broke the attic window. He did repair it from the outside, but he refused to go back on the inside of it to sweep up the broken glass. Oh, it's just much safer to dangle off the side of a lighthouse. (laughs) I guess so. I I mean, I guess it's not part of the attic, is it? uh, That's part of the lighthouse, not the attic. Yeah. I've watched too much Rose Red to <laughs> want to be doing anything like that to something that's clearly don't want it. Yeah. The worker reported hearing scraping noises coming from the attic as well. One of the workers went to the attic the next morning to see what the noise was, and they found the glass had been swept into a nice, neat pile beneath the window. That's a nice raccoon. Yeah. The raccoon that comes on my porch to try to eat the dog food and the cat food, it's not that nice. It broke. The container that I keep the cat food in. It broke through the middle of it. It didn't bother opening it? It tried to open it, and I put things on top of the lid to keep it, and it somehow broke the middle of the tub container, and the bowl that I keep in there to scoop the food out was halfway through this hole. It was trying to drag it out. So now I have to buy another (laughs) one because he pulled it out, or she, I don't know, pulled the part that's broken out, and all the food's just going to go pouring out like it's 
one of those barrels that holds wine. She was like, I got babies to feed. You can't keep me out. <laughs> She's just trying to feed her babies. You know, we put extra food out for those animals. I do too, and they still do that. Oh. That's probably why they do that, because we do that, but still. Other things people have reported while staying in the lighthouse is missing or moved objects, hearing dainty footsteps in the attic, seeing an elderly woman looking down at them from an attic window. That's how come that's dainty, I guess, because elderly women have such dainty steps. <laughs> and glimpses of a smoky female figure they nicknamed the Gray Lady. Oh, another Gray Lady. Yeah. Where's the Maroon Lady or the Violet Lime Green? <laughs> Old Port Boca Grande Lighthouse. I'm assuming is how that is pronounced. I'm sorry if it is not. Is located in Gasparilla Island on Gasparilla. In 1890, it was completed. The lighthouse was built due to the increased business of the port after phosphate was discovered in the early 1880s in the area. Congress gave $35,000 for the construction. Yeah, phosphate's useful. Since the beginning, erosion posed a threat to the structure. The lighthouse keepers and their families lived and worked in the lighthouse from 1890 to 1951. And by 1970, the ocean water kept touching the supports that held up the lighthouse. So they had to save the structure by constructing a 265-foot granite jetty. In 1967, the Coast Guard abandoned the lighthouse. So the Gasparilla Island Conservation Association raised money to restore it. It was returned to service in 1986 after being rebuilt. The young daughter of a keeper is said to pass away in the dwelling, likely due to whooping cough, because it says or whooping cough. A former park ranger named Anne Marie said that at midnight you can hear the little girl playing upstairs. Oh. And the legend says a Spanish pirate, Jose Gaspar, better known in Florida as Gasparilla, he buried his treasure in the sands near where the lighthouse was built about 90 years later. He also captured a Spanish princess named josepha and fell in love with her that's quite a legend we got here josepha did not return his love so gasparilla became consumed by rage As and severed her head maybe she sensed that and that's why she didn't want to return his love he then gently collected her lifeless body i'm so sorry i'll fix this and buried her in the sand on the island the legend says he was driven by his love for her i don't think that's what love is i think that was more of an obsession Yep. But driven by profound love, Gasparilla chose not to part with her. Allegedly, he carried her head with him for the remainder of his days. But wouldn't it decompose and stink? You boil the skin, the bones are all that's left, kind of like they do in Game of Thrones. Just throw it in a pot of water into the bone. Didn't, in Pirates of the Caribbean, didn't Jack's dad carry his mother's head? It was a shrunken head, not a bone head. Mm. Not a skull. A bone head. <laughs> <laughs> The beach is said to be haunted by the headless spirit of the Spanish princess, Josefa. Not the crazed pirate. It didn't say anything about the pirate. He lived a happy life of a skull after that. She got to <laughs> stick around and be miserable. Yeah, looking for her head. Sol Koi is how I'm going to pronounce this. I don't know if that's how it's said, but Point Lighthouse. Feel free to message the email in the links below and tell her how it's pronounced if you think that's wrong. Because yeah. I don't know. It's spelled S-E-U-L. C-H-O-I-X, Yeah, if that helps. In 1895, the lighthouse became operational. It's located in Lake Michigan, Gulliver, Michigan, by the way. And it's 70 feet tall. In the 1970s, the Coast Guard made the lighthouse automated, therefore no more keeper. Captain James Townsend would visit his brother Joseph, who was the lighthouse keeper. 
While visiting one time, he fell very ill, and the illness caused him excruciating pain, and he would scream in agony day and night. His brother tried to make him comfortable. What in God's name happened to the man? I don't know. August 12th, 1910, James died. He was a cigar smoker. His body was embalmed in the basement of the keeper's dwelling and then placed in a cedar casket for public viewing. The body stayed in the parlor of the keeper's dwelling for a long period of time so that the loved ones would have a chance to get there because they had to have boats and horses and wagons. Took longer. Guests and members of the Gulliver Historical Society have reported smelling pungent cigar smoke on several occasions when there's no one in the lighthouse, especially smoking a cigar. Some cigars smell okay, though. A carpenter who was working in the basement reported hearing heavy footsteps while he was hammering. He thought it was the echo of the hammer at first. When he stopped, the footsteps would stop as well. He stopped working to check, and he found that he was the only person in the building. He continued with his hammering, but this time when he would stop hammering, the footsteps would continue, and he described them as heavy footsteps walking from room to room. Okay, that would make me uneasy. Yeah, he packed his tools and he left and refused to go back by himself. It's said that the captain will return and turn the hat around on the mannequin that's dressed in an official keeper's uniform, and sometimes he places a cigar or two in the pocket of the keeper's coat. Here you go, buddy. <laughs> He'll turn over the silverware on the table, which he's done on several occasions. And he used to hold his fork upside down when he ate. That's what they think he does this for. I've seen people do that. I want to say. They just take the back of the fork and shove it right into the food. Oh, Oh, no. I was going to say, like, I know there's some form of formal eating, which I don't. That's also not my thing. I want to be able to enjoy my food. I don't want to have to worry about being formal. Obviously, I don't want to sit there and smack my lips and be extremely rude, but I want to be able to enjoy my food without people judging me. There's a podcast called Schmanners by Travis McElroy and his wife. It covers stuff like this. The history of manners. Well, I mean, some of it is just ridiculous. It is, but it's cool to know. I mean, yes, it's it's cool. He'll also shut the Bible that's on display. Now we know his views on things. Every once in a while, the captain can be seen when workers are cleaning the mirror on the dressing table. Just little glimpses. And he's said to have heavy eyes and a white beard. As most sea people do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we just discussed that earlier. Yeah. Now, off the topic of lighthouses and just ghosts at the sea or in bodies of water. Some of it's lakes. So I'm going <laughs> to say bodies of water. The ghost of the babbling brook. <laughs> <laughs> well, first we're talking about the Flying Dutchman. It's the most well-known ghost ship. Much of the story is legend, but it's actually based on fact. I never knew that. I didn't either. Then again, I never actually took the time to look at it. I should have known. It was a real ship in Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. <laughs> in 1680, Captain Hendricks Vanderdecken, he sailed a ship from Amsterdam to Batavia, a port in Dutch East India. While rounding the Cape of Good Hope, his ship encountered a powerful storm. The crew believed the storm was a warning from God. But Vanderdecken ignored the dangers and kept going. You'll curse the very name, Vanderdecken. <laughs> the storm battered the ship until it foundered, claiming the lives of everyone on board as it sank. Well, Vanderdecken, that's unfortunate for you, sir. Yeah. And everybody else on board who didn't want to go. Yeah. Well, the legend has it that as punishment, Vanderdecken and his ship were condemned to sail the waters near the Cape of Good Hope for all eternity. Oh no, a sea captain forced to stay at sea all his eternal life. Darn. I'm sure some people would really like it. Ships don't really bother me, but Joey would not be able to do it. He does not like ships. He's afraid of the deep water, first of all, and also the rocking of the ship. 
he could not sleep at all. Oh, I slept like a baby. I did too. Even in the worst of storms, I just rocked back and forth and fall asleep. <laughs> if so as soon I, as die, I die, well, as soon as <laughs> at least I, I'll be asleep. I uh, fastened everything down so it wasn't rattling. <laughs> I had a problem with that. My cans of Canadian Dry were bopping together. Oh, I didn't take any cans. In 1835, one of the earliest sightings of the Flying Dutchman was reported by the captain and crew of a British vessel. They reported witnessing the phantom ship approaching in the middle of a terrible storm. And apparently it got so close that the crew feared the two ships would collide. But then it just vanished. Poof. Oh, lucky for them. In 1881, two crewmen from the HMS Bachante, Bachante reported seeing the Flying Dutchman. The next day, one of the crewmen who had seen the Dutchman fell from the rigging to his death. That's bad luck. Yeah. March 1939, the Flying Dutchman was spotted off the coast of South Africa by dozens of bathers. They provided detailed descriptions of the ship, and from what I read, they most likely wouldn't have known what a ship like that would have looked like when they described it. They wouldn't have known what a European ship from centuries before would have looked like. Yeah. In 1942, the last recorded sighting of the Flying Dutchman off the coast of Cape Town, four witnesses saw the Dutchman sail into the Table Bay and, as always, vanished into thin air. I wonder if it's actually Table Bay or if my document has... Auto-corrected. Auto-corrected. I don't know. I like the idea of a table bay. (laughs) Now we're going into some Great Lakes ghosts. September 1678, the Griffin left Lake Michigan's Green Bay and vanished. In the following years, several sailors claimed to have seen the Griffin afloat on the lake. That's a ship, by the way. November 10th, 1975, a commercial vessel spotted the Edmund Fitzgerald, an ore freighter that sank in Lake Superior, taking all 26 of its crew with it. This was nearly a decade after the vessel had sunk. Alarming when you find that out. Yeah. In 1988, a diver was exploring Lake Superior and discovered the wreckage of the steamer Emperor. Inside the old wreck, the diver claimed to have seen the ghost of a crewman lying on a bunk who turned and looked at him, and that's the moment I drowned. Yeah, I would just drown there. Yeah. I'm gone. I'm terrified. I'm drowning. On December 1924, this isn't the Great Lakes, by the way. Oh, what is this? It's called Faces in the Water. Okay, I almost can guess what it's about. You've probably seen the picture. It's quite popular, I believe. I see it all the time anyway. I didn't know what it was about until I read this, though. December 1924, James Courtney and Michael Meehan, they were crew members of the SS Watertown. I love that name. Watertown? Yeah, it sounds like it's doomed to sink. (laughs) They were cleaning a cargo tank as the oil tanker sailed from New York City towards the Panama Canal. And they were overcome by gas fumes and ended up losing their lives. That's sad. It was doomed. And as they did back then, they were buried at sea. But the following day and for several days after, the ghostly faces of the two sailors were spotted in the water. So I left the string tied to them by accident. <laughs> oh, that would have been terrible. But the picture actually really does look a lot like two normal faces. They don't look like ghostly faces. They look so they might be stuck on something on the side of the ship and just drug along. Yeah, but it's oh, really hard no. to tell because it was older. Yeah. Obviously, it was the 20s. But they seem to be following the ship, maybe attached to that rope or whatever you say. <laughs> this is horrible. So the captain took a picture of these faces that followed them. And like I said, you can look the photograph up online. It's very clearly two faces. That sounds about eerie as can get. Other than the ghost in the wreckage, that would probably be the scariest. I had a balcony on our cruise, and looking over the edge at night gave me chills. 
eh, it is a little creepier at night, but I'm I'm determined that I'm meant to be near the ocean. Kathy was out one evening sitting with me. That might have been her first night out. First, early in the morning the next day before we made first port or something. She said uh, something about having the urge just to jump in right there. I'm like, we are in the center of the sea in the middle of the night. It was just, it was just a very terrifying thought to me. I, I didn't want to do that. Oh, no, I, I definitely wouldn't want to do that. <laughs> it's also, well, it's mostly the fear of heights for me, though. Well, the thing about the water is the same thing above water that has to do with heights. You are above so many, so many feet of vast emptiness, just like on a heights. Yeah. It's just in dark waters, you can't see what's down there. Which to some people is even scarier. Yeah, that's what Joey's afraid of. You should have played that movie for him, um, Deep Rising. The shark one? No, Deep Rising. I can't find it. I bought it on it was Amazon Video. Not a sponsor. That's all I have for today. Okay. Well, I've enjoyed this one. If you also enjoyed it, you should check out our other podcasts we have on the Gruesome Gaming Group Network. Uh, we have Leveling Duo. It's a podcast for me and my friend Dakota to talk about video games we've really enjoyed. They could be old or new. Just depends on what we're going to talk about that day. We alternate between the two of us. Or Brother Knows Quest. It's a podcast where I tell my sister about tabletop role-playing games and she tell me if she'd like to play them sometime. And we are about to start streaming on Twitch and putting the videos on YouTube afterwards because that's the only way I can stream. So we also might start putting up videos of us playing tabletop role-playing games. If you want to watch something like that, we'll put those on YouTube. We'll just we'll announce it before. If you want to find out when we're going to start these things, you should follow us on Twitter. I have links in the description of all of our episodes now, and it will take you to all of our other links, such as the first one is the website that is our podcast hosting website. It has all of our podcasts, all of our other stuff like that, and it will have options for subscribing or donating if you really want to do that. We'd appreciate it if you did, of course. We have a donation from Harold, very kindly donated some money. Thank you very much. Yep, it's very nice of you. If you want to give us ideas on what to do, there's an email in the link to HH&H. It's my sister's email. She will get back to you and you can correct her on some mispronunciations or just tell us what you would like to hear about or just say hi. That's fine too. Same for the Twitter. I watch after the Twitter and the Instagram and the TikTok and the YouTube. Oh, I still need to... Somebody commented on one of my TikTok videos and actually suggested a book that was written by the... I forgot his name, but if I look at the comment, I actually screenshot it so it'd be easier to look. I need to look at that book still. Yeah, but. we do get them. Beth's been busy with college work right now, so if she don't get back to you immediately, that's why. I'll get back to you, but it, it may take me it, a while to actually yeah. do what I say I'm going to do because it's just full-time was not a good idea at all. But if you comment on or message any of the social links or email YouTube, any of it, if you leave a comment or something towards us, it will get to the person you intend it to if you leave a name for who you're wanting it to go to because we communicate between each other like that. Like I said, follow the Twitter if you want to see when we're going to start streaming stuff. And uh, I'll add a Twitch channel link in there as well to the link tree. If you get a chance to review us on your podcast app, that'd be nice. Like, subscribe, YouTube, review on Apple Podcasts or something. Also, there's been a lot more listeners lately. It really makes me happy. Yeah, we have a few in Bulgaria and Italy, places like that. Yeah. The UAE. Welcome, and I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> Thank you for listening. We're trying to do a spooky season thing, but technically our whole podcast is about spooky stuff, so we just pick and choose what we want. I'm trying to stick to the more ghostly, ghostly I guess you yeah, could say. Less plague and crashing cars kind of stuff. All right. I've been Ramey. And I'm Beth. Thank you for listening to HH&H. Goodbye.